Good morning. I'm Anthony Bills. I'm the son of Kyle and Nadine Bills, and I'm married to Kelsey. And we have four children, Bennett, Sawyer, Hunter, and Vivian. My family moved to Franklin when I was in second grade. My, my mom and dad did. And so I'm 36 now. This has been my church home for most of my life. So Keith, when Keith talked about family and God's family a couple of weeks ago, it really is a message that hit home with me. As I reflected on my early memories of this place, one of my earliest memories in this room is about a man who some of you will know, but many won't, named Daryl Lanham. And he, he made quite an impression on me. He was our song leader here. And Mr. Lanham <clears throat> had a long battle with cancer. And during that time, he continued to lead singing on this stage. And so to this day, when we sing the song, Glorify Thy Name, and I look at this stage, I can see him leading that song as we observe the toll that that disease took on his body one week to the next. You know, I was taught in Bible class downstairs, and I remember a class when my dad taught, and he was teaching on Abraham and Isaac, and so in front of a room full of my peers and other kids, he brought me on stage as if I was on an altar and he was going to sacrifice me <laughs> to demonstrate what God was instructing Abraham to do. I have uh, been on this stage as the boy David slaying Goliath in VBS plays. I have uh, co-starred with Ken Knopp in a Christmas play on this stage. So I was baptized by my dad back here. And I went through the youth group here, and so I remember all the fall retreats and winter fest, the youth conferences. I remember playing tackle football at the fall retreats and being just violently tackled by Jason Dean back before he was a grandpa. I remember uh, at Winterfest, I have been on the receiving end of a chewing out from Wayne Howell. I skipped a Devo and was not where I needed to be in Gatlinburg, and, and he, he gave me some words. I spent summers working on the gentry farm, and when I wasn't working there, I worked around the yard and house for Miss Christine Pig. Now, during this time growing up here, there were more than a few times where this church family stepped in for my family because of my dad's health. And uh, this church family helped with Christmas, they helped with meals, they helped uh, with yard work, helped with moving. When my dad couldn't help me with instruction in pitching when I was in high school, he called on one of his brothers here, John McCord, who took me out to Jim Warren Park and worked with me on pitching. So then when, when I returned here after college, during college, 
Kelsey and I met here. We were engaged at the Gentry Farm. Patsy and Albert did our premarital counseling. And we were married here in this room in front of some of you. And so now we've begun raising our kids here. So when I look out at you and stand here, I, I do see you as family. And so I've resisted calling this a sermon. I just call it me talking to family today. Most of you know that I lost my dad about six months ago. So this time has been a time of feeling a great void for me. And as I look around this room and reflect on the last couple of years for this church family, I recognize I'm not unique in this. It's been a tough time for a lot of you. You've experienced losses of fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters, all in just the past couple of years. Others of you are lifting up loved ones, facing health and other issues. Some of you, grandbabies who've been fighting since they were born into this world. For some of you, this time of transition in our church family over the past year has been very discouraging, and you are still feeling unsettled. And unless you've been completely off the grid, you know it seems like strife and calamity are just regular occurrences right now. In Middle Tennessee, we've had deadly floods, deadly tornadoes, we've had a bombing, we've had riots, and then you zoom out from there, we've got what's going on in Afghanistan right now, we've got a storm, a hurricane strengthening as it heads toward Louisiana. And of course, I haven't even mentioned the pandemic. The cumulative effect of all this can wear down even the most resilient of us, even when we have so much to be thankful for. So my message for us this morning is simple. God is sovereign over everything. And because he is sovereign, he will deliver on his good promises to us. I recognize that when speaking to a group of believers, the principle that God is sovereign is not some kind of groundbreaking revelation. I think of it as more of a fundamental of our faith. I heard the word fundamentals a lot when my dad was coaching basketball. He used the phrase fundamentally sound. And when you talk about a player who is fundamentally sound, you're talking about a player who has mastered certain simple skills that are the building blocks to become a complete player who can play a role on a team. So in basketball, it's stuff like dribbling with your weak hand. When the shot goes up, blocking out. When you dribble to the baseline, don't pick up your dribble. Catch the ball in the triple threat. Just fundamentals. And Fundamentals require repetition. 
When the game is on the line, when the player is put to the test, they have developed these habits so that they do not deviate from them. In this season of my life, God has put on me to give greater emphasis to this fundamental of our faith. He is sovereign. He has put on me to more fully acknowledge His sovereignty and to consider the implications of it. God's sovereignty means this. God has absolute power and authority to do what God decides. Let me say that again. God has absolute power and authority to do what God decides. Yes, God created heaven and earth. He created the sun, moon, stars. He created man and the animals that inhabit the earth. God's power is on display in the creation story. And we can infer that as the author of creation, God has rule and authority over it. We can infer that. He did confer on man dominion over animals. So we can infer he couldn't give something he didn't already have. He had authority. But we don't really even need to speculate about God's sovereignty, his rule over creation. He made this crystal clear when he spoke to Job, who after suffering terribly, begged God to know the meaning of his suffering. And God responded. And let's, let's start with this. God spoke to Job out of a storm. Listen to the words of God that came out of the storm. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Mr. Allen. Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Does the eagle soar at your command, build its nest on high? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Maybe we can accept that God is sovereign over creation, but do you doubt that God is sovereign over the affairs of men? 
Let's look at one of the stories of the Old Testament, the story of a king, Hezekiah, who ruled over Judah in a time of trouble when the nation of Assyria, one of the most brutal, cruel, and hostile nations, was on a campaign. They had easily captured all of the fortified cities of Judah. The king of Assyria said, I have Hezekiah trapped like a bird in a cage as he laid siege to Jerusalem. Commentators have observed that at this moment, 2,700 years ago, the survival of Judaism was very much in jeopardy. If Jerusalem had been destroyed, we would have almost certainly seen the end of the nation of Judah. Even Hezekiah said, this day is a day of distress, rebuke, and humiliation. For children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to deliver them. But God had other plans and spoke these words against the king of Assyria through the prophet Isaiah. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. Have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago I planned it, and now I am making it happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That's why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They're as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They're like grass sprouting on, sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well, where you stay and when you come and go. I know the way you've raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Second Kings records that God sent an angel of death upon the Assyrian army that night and killed 185,000 soldiers. The Assyrian king turned back on the road he came, and the siege of Jerusalem ended. God's absolute power and sovereignty to do his will for his people can be seen no clearer than in his covenant with Abram in Genesis. He appears to Abram and announces, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you, and I will give you the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Notice God using the words will and shall. 
In the law, this is called mandatory language. The law demands strict compliance when mandatory language is used. Substantial compliance halfway is not good enough. In the same way, God's covenants to Abram will come to pass 100%. No less, not hopefully, not maybe. His covenants will come to pass 100%. Abram did not initiate this meeting. God did not ask Abram for input. He did not negotiate with Abram. He had decided his will and he revealed it. So what, what do we do with this? There's a lot to take away, but today for us right now, I offer three reactions. First, let's acknowledge God's power and authority to do what he decides. I think Job gives us a model of what this looks like. Listen to how Job responded after he heard God's voice from the storm. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Can we say that? Do we have too tight a grip on an illusion of control? Are we willing to trust in the Lord with all our hearts? Or must we lean on our understanding? You know, there, there was an expression my granddad used to use a lot. I'd say something like, we'll see you at the reunion next Saturday. And he'd say, we'll see you there, Lord willing. What a healthy perspective that offered. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. And it's not something that he invented or coined. It's an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. From the book of James, where it says, none of us knows what will happen tomorrow. Our life is a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. So we ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, then we will live and we will do this or that. May we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our plans. Second, acknowledging God's authority to do what he decides does not invite a life of being passive about prayer. God's sovereignty should elicit prayer. Listen to what God said to Hezekiah before he saved Jerusalem. Because you have prayed to me against the king of Assyria, I have heard you. Throughout the Bible, God leaves no doubt there is cause and effect between prayer and his sovereign will being done. Hezekiah was a bird in a cage. He was in distress. He declared, this is a day of rebuke. But he prayed. In Luke 18, Jesus told this story about the persistent widow 
And he says, I tell you this story so that you will never give up and you will always pray. And this story is about this woman who keeps coming in front of this judge and Jesus says, this judge wasn't a God-fearing man. He wasn't even a man who cared about people. But this woman keeps coming before him seeking a remedy, seeking justice. She keeps coming. She keeps coming. And the New Living Translation, I really like the way it puts it. It says, the judge ignored her, but finally he said, this woman's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out. Jesus says, if this, ju- un- if this unjust judge would render a just decision, then you can depend on God who is good and sovereign to give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Thank you, God, for the culture of prayer that exists here among this family. May we continue to wear him out, so to speak, with prayer. Finally, for those of us in times of sadness and struggle and pain and uncertainty, may we be comforted in our faith that the sovereign God who delivered on his covenant to Abram has made good promises to us. A God who is not sovereign is no God at all. And a God who is not sovereign will not always fulfill his promises. This is why God's sovereignty is so fundamental to our faith. I'll never understand how God's absolute power and authority over all things is exercised in a fallen world. I just won't. Like Job said, maybe it's that it's his ways are too wonderful for us to know. But let us be convicted about this. God is absolute ruler over everything. And he has made good promises to you. Listen. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am working all things for your good. I will withhold no good thing from you. I am your shield and your great reward. I am your light and your salvation. I am the stronghold of your life. I will give you eternal life. I will give you abundant life. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. I will give good gifts to those who ask me, and I will give strength to the weary, power to the weak. I am close to the brokenhearted, and I will comfort those who mourn. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will hear you, forgive you, and heal you. I will be found by those who seek me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will listen to you, I will fight for you, I will set you free, and I will not change. I will redeem your life from the pit and crown you with love and compassion. 
will finish the good work I have begun in you. I will never blot your name out of the book of life. I will come back and take you to be with me. I will deliver you and you will honor me. So my church family, take comfort in these promises. Our God who rules over everything is for us. We are sovereign God's handiwork, which he created anew in Jesus. Therefore, no matter the circumstances, acknowledge him. Pray that his will be done. And keep doing good. Keep doing the good things he planned for you long ago.